Amen. You may be seated. Good to see all of you this morning. Daniel chapter 9 this morning as we continue our series on prayer, looking at the significant prayers of the Bible. Daniel chapter 9. One of the things that we get to do through the Bible is to peer into the very private lives and private moments of people. You can almost look at it as, just like here on this school stage, there's a curtain. And even in our lives, many times there's a curtain that hides the majority of our life. But in the Bible, God purposefully pulls that curtain back and allows us as sort of an audience to go into a moment in someone's life that is a very private moment. And that's exactly what we're going to do this morning as we go into the private residence and a very private time of prayer between Daniel and his God. And as we do this, let's be reminded of something about this man, Daniel, that hopefully will encourage and inspire us today. First of all, Think about this. Go back, and I realize this will be closer for some of us than others, and not for me, that's for sure. But go back to when you were a young teenager. And think now, at that time, maybe I'm talking 13, 14 at the most. Think of yourself at that time in your life, and now being plucked up from where you live, from your family, and being taken to a foreign country, to a foreign culture, to a place that does not worship or recognize your God, and that that place, not where you grew up, not your home, not anything familiar, that place is where you spend the rest of your life. In fact, as... Daniel was here at this place in his life. He would be probably in his mid to late 80s. And yet, this has a powerful message for us. This reminds us that we don't have to have sort of what we think are those optimal circumstances surrounding us to thrive spiritually and to thrive for God. Daniel is a great example that he didn't have all these circumstances just right in his life. And then he dedicated his life to God and drew closer to God and was used by God and ministered for God and made an impact for God. No, he did that his whole life in less than favorable circumstances. He did it while he was in exile in Babylon as an Israelite. Never seeing his home again. And yet this man we still remember today and honor today and acknowledge today for his relationship with God. So what it says to us is let's not as Christians sit back and think, well, I've got to wait, God, for for this to fall into place and for this to happen and, and for this to be true in my life. And then my spiritual life will kick into gear. Then, you know, everything, all these optimal things, they'll be exactly what they need to be. And then my spiritual life will take off and I will thrive. 
Because God wants to show us exactly how big he is in the fact that most of the time in our life, we're not going to have favorable circumstances all surrounding us. And yet God is saying, wherever I place you, you can thrive if you just focus on me. And that's one of the things we learn from Daniel. Another thing as we approach this passage today, we learn from Daniel is this. Unlike many older, more mature Christians today, and thank God that most of you who are older and mature don't feel this way at the Oasis, but many do. Is it, well, when I get to a certain age, I just sort of kick it into a lower gear and I just sort of sail for heaven. And you know, in my younger days, I did my ministry and whatever, but now it's time to let the younger people do their thing. And I'm just going to sort of step back. I'm so glad Daniel didn't feel that way. Again, Daniel would have been in his mid to upper 80s at this point, still going strong for God. In fact, it was when he was in his 80s that he was thrown into the lion's den for praying to his God three times a day. And it again reminds us that whether you're young, as we saw several weeks ago with Hezekiah, who assumed the leadership of Judah when he was only 25, and how it doesn't matter how young you are, God can use you. It also should be true that no matter how old we are, we should keep on keeping on for God. And especially when we are older. Because as we grow older and mature, we've got so much that we can offer that we should be offering. We've got our walk with God through our life and our life experience and the things we've learned. And if any time in our life we should be busy in ministry and service for the Lord, it should be in our later years. Because we've got more than to offer the next generations coming than we ever had in our lifetime. And so I want to challenge And hopefully encourage you here today, if you're in that stage of life, man, don't don't retire. Don't take a back seat spiritually. Be like Daniel. Step up and continue to serve and be used by God. And don't let your your age, whether it's young or old, be some kind of of excuse or, or whatever, a rationalization for not being everything that we can be at every stage of life, no matter what that stage is. I've shared with you before a story that was uh, given to me many, many years ago. But I'll share it again because it certainly fits in with Daniel. That there was this pastor in Dallas, Texas, who had a gal in his church that was 100 years old. And they obviously hadn't seen her for a couple days, so people were concerned. And they, they went to her home, and they found her dead. But she was at her desk, dead, writing out her goals for the next 10 years. And as my, one of my mentors said, that's dying with your boots on. Oh, that we as Christians would have that kind of mentality. Well, that was Daniel. 80 some years old now when we have the curtain pulled back 
And now we come to hear what Daniel is saying to his God. So notice in chapter 9, verse 1, we have a very significant historical marker given to us that might not mean a lot to many of us, but it is significant. Because Daniel writes, in the first year of Darius, son of Ahasuerus, who was of Median descent and who had been appointed king over the Babylonian empire, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, came to understand from the sacred books that according to the word of the Lord disclosed to the prophet Jeremiah, the years for fulfilling the desolation of Jerusalem were 70 in number. Take note of what Daniel's really saying here. I, Daniel, survived the entire exile. I outlasted the people who captured me and brought me to this land in the first place. The Babylonians now are no longer in control of the world and the world empire. Now it's been taken over by the Medes and the Persians. And again, it reminds us that when you and I dedicate our lives to the Lord... We can outlast and overcome and rise above every other force that comes against us. And we don't have to be defined by those other things in our life. Daniel never allowed that to happen. He never sat there in Babylon in a self-pity party going, Oh my goodness, you know, I, I'm, I'm far away from home, far away from family. I've been captured as a young man. Uh, I'll never be able to do anything for God. My life will never count for anything. I might as well just surrender to the forces around me and let the Babylonians take over. And Daniel never did that. In fact, Daniel was faithful to his God and grew in his relationship with God and was used by God his whole life and actually outlived those who put him in that place in the first place. It reminds us that God has the last word. But what it also reminds us here is obviously Daniel is saying, but by looking at the sacred books, basically the Old Testament scriptures that he had available to him, he realized that this 70 year captivity that God had said would come upon his people was about to end. And notice something very important. He was able to grow in wisdom, which is what the word understand means in verse 2 to discern, to perceive, because he was in the Word of God. He was in the sacred books. He was in the Scriptures. And that's how he grew in wisdom. That's how he uh, understood the plan and will of God and was reminded of it. It was through his time in the Word. And notice also he equates the Word of the Lord with the writings of Jeremiah. That's important. Daniel said, what Jeremiah said is what God said. It is the word of God. Verse 2. And then notice something else before we move on. Daniel understands that the 70 years that Daniel talks about, or that Jeremiah talked about, was literal. Many Christians today are like, well, should we interpret books like Daniel and Revelation and prophecy literal? Yeah. Yeah. Daniel said, Jeremiah said, through the Lord, this would be a 70-year exile. Not, well, now 70 really means this. No. 70 means 70. And so he knew that these 70 years 
that the Jews were in exile were coming to an end. Because that's what God said. God said, I will place you in exile for 70 years. So what was Daniel's response as he went into the word of God and gained deeper understanding into the things of God? He says in verse 3, So I turned my attention to the Lord God to implore him by prayer and request with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Daniel is saying, I turned away from everything else. I turned away from everyone else and I gave my God undivided attention. Literally in the Hebrew, I set my face to the face of God. I set my focus to God and there was nothing distracting me. It was just me and God. I thought to myself, how often do we as Christians truly give God undivided attention? Where we turn away from everyone and everything else and it's just us setting our face to the face of God. I think Daniel's giving us a great example. Though we live in a world that prides itself on being multitaskers, God never recommends that we do that spiritually. Where it's like, well, I'll draw, I'll put some of my attention on God, but then my attention's going to be on this and this and this, because it's never profitable, beneficial, or good for us spiritually to somehow divide our attention. You and I want to get traction with God. We want to grow. We, we want to see God do things in our life, in and through us. Then give God our undivided attention. That's one of the reasons why God set aside the Sabbath. That's one of the reasons why God in the New Testament called his people to meet at least once a week. It was like a way to say, hey, you might be ignoring me the rest of the week, but when you come together, will you at least give me your undivided focus and attention for at least a little while? And that's what Daniel did. I love that. I turned my attention. Literally, I set my face to the face of God. And he did it in humility and in mourning because he understood something. And we'll get to this a little bit further in. But the reason God's people were in the plight that they were in and suffering the way they were and experiencing the painful circumstances they were is because they had turned their back on God. They had forsaken God. They had become idol worshipers. And there was all kinds of things in their life more important than God. And God said, fine. You will go into exile. You will be, you will be now ruled by a foreign power. Because you don't want me to rule over you. So I'll give you someone else on earth to rule over you. But here's, here's why Daniel was so passionate and, and, and filled with emotion here as he's praying to God because Daniel understands something that sort of scares him. And that is that for 70 years, in spite of all that the nation has went through, they haven't learned their lesson. The, the majority of the people of God 
even through the painful circumstances they've went through, have not changed. They've not repented. They've not turned back to God. And so Daniel's fear is, yeah, God, you're going to send us back because you're true to your word. But when we go back, are we really any different than when we left 70 years before? And is this just going to repeat over and over again because we're not willing to learn and turn? That's what Daniel was concerned about. In fact, it is my personal opinion that you will find no passage of Scripture in all the Word of God that has more devotion to it, more reverence for God for it, than what we're reading here in Daniel chapter 9. Notice Daniel begins by acknowledging the Lord in verse 4. When he says, God, you're great. You're awesome. I stand in awe of you. Verse 7, you are righteous, Lord. And then he goes down in verse 9 to say, Lord, you're compassionate and you're forgiving. God, we're in the place we're in. We're in the position we're in. Not because of you, but in spite of you. You did nothing wrong. You've always been right. You've always been faithful. The reason we're in the place we're in as the people of God is because we were wrong. And Daniel here is sort of accepting responsibility for the nation of Israel. In fact, notice in verse 9, he goes on to say, Yet the Lord our God is compassionate and forgiving, even though we've rebelled against Him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God by living according to the laws that he set before us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has broken your law, literally went by, went passed over, and turned away by not obeying you. That's the picture Daniel was affirming, if you will, in his prayer. He's saying, God, I'm coming to you, and I'm not not coming to you because somehow I... You know, you've done us wrong. No. We're in this place because of us. That's why we're experiencing the painful circumstances we are. And then notice what else Daniel says in his prayer in verse 11. Therefore you have poured out on us the judgment solemnly threatened or promised in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against you. And the reason I wanted to make that point today as well is because there are many people today, even those who claim to be followers of Christ, who really don't believe God's going to do what he said he's going to do. Because using the word threatened there, it sort of reminds like, you know, people can, you know, I'm going to do this. Sort of maybe even like a parent with a child, you know, now if you don't do this, this is what I'm going to do. And they sort of keep threatening for some kind of consequence, but it never comes. Well, obviously then the child goes, you're just... You're just blowing smoke. You'll never do anything. One of the things Daniel's saying in his prayers, God, I know something about you. You don't just threaten or promise to do something positive or negative and then not do it. Oh, that we would get that. Because if we really believe that God would do the positive things he would say he would do in our lives or the negative things that would come, the consequences would come if we didn't do Wouldn't we be living differently if we really thought God would follow through on what he said he's going to do? And that's what Daniel's saying in his prayer. He's like, look, this is what you said you would do. Why didn't we listen? 
Why, why, did we not believe that somehow we could just do this and somehow we wouldn't end up in exile? That, that we wouldn't end up in the place that we were? That somehow a different, uh, a different circumstance, a different consequence would come? I think that's somehow the way people think today. It's like, I can live my Christian life this way, but things are still going to turn out okay. I, I, I'm going to get this outcome even though... I'm sowing this. And that's one of the things that the Bible says is, look, we reap what we sow. And, and you and I don't reap something different than what we've sown. You know, isn't that crazy? Is that me? That's that. Oh, don't you love this? <laughs> it's just really interesting to me how, you know, things like this happen. Well, hang in there. Stay focused. <laughs> Set your face on the Word of God. And we'll just let them try to figure this out. And if it lasts the rest of the message, it's okay. God's bigger than that little distracting noise. Let's move on. Look at verse 12. He carried out his threats against us and our rulers who were over us by bringing great calamity on us. The word means adversity, unpleasant and painful consequences. And again, Daniel says, but it's not God's fault. It's our fault. Now here's the amazing thing. Look at verse 13. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, so all this calamity has come on us. Don't miss the next thing. Still, we have not tried to pacify the Lord our God by turning back from our sin and by seeking wisdom from your reliable moral standards. Again, that's the point. Daniel's saying, get it? We've been in this position for 70 years. We've been in all this pain by our own doing and yet, we haven't learned. We haven't turned back to God. Think of what Daniel's saying. That pe the people of God can get to a place where they will accept and in some weird way be find comfort in the pain that they're going through rather than seeking to get out of the pain and just Turn to God. Do you know someone like that? Maybe that describes you. You're experiencing a lot of painful consequences in your life right now. And, and, and if you would be honest, you'd be going, you know what? It's, it's because I've neglected my spiritual life. God has not been a priority in my life, and my life is just... And I know. I know that if I just stop playing church and, and stop, you know, letting all these things of the world distract me and really dedicate my life and consecrate my life to God, things might go better, but... I'll stay where I'm at. I'll stay where I'm at. 
That's a sad place to be. That's why when Daniel read the book of Jeremiah, he would have read these verses before he prayed. Where God says, For I know what I have planned for you, says the Lord. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have plans to give you a future filled with hope. But note the context that that promise, if you will, from God is in. When you call out to me and come to me in prayer, I will hear your prayers. When you seek me in prayer and worship, you will find me available to you. If you seek me with all your heart and soul... I will make myself available to you, says the Lord. Then I will reverse your plight and will regather you from all the nations and all the places that I have exiled you, says the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from where I exiled you. Were the people willing to really seek God now and search for Him and and give Him their all? That's Daniel's concern. Because Daniel doesn't want the exile to be over. And all these people start heading back to Jerusalem and and Israel. And then it be business as usual. Daniel says, I'm hoping that our people, that we as a nation will wake up. And that we'll be willing to change. And that if God has brought painful consequences and unpleasant circumstances into our life, it's only because He loves us so much that He's trying to use those consequences and those unpleasant things to get us to be willing to say, okay, God, I'll finally live your way now. I'm done living my way. I'm done living for me and what I want. God, I'm finally willing to come to you and surrender. So notice down in verse 17. Because I figure a lot of this prayer of Daniel you can read, obviously, and study for yourself. I just wanted to hit some of the highlights. So in verse 17, Daniel says, So now, our God, accept the prayer and request of your servant and show favor to your devastated sanctuary for your own sake. Notice that. Daniel's not saying, God... Answer my prayer and and make things better and revive and restore your people because we deserve it. Because we did this and we've been this. No. Daniel says, we haven't done anything. Don't do it for us because we don't deserve it. Do it for your glory, God. Do it for your reputation. Do it for your honor. And I love that phrase, show favor. That Daniel uses. Because I think Daniel, again, being a man of the word of God, he knew the priestly blessing that God gave to Aaron to bless the people of God. Back in the book of Numbers. Where God says, when you bless my people, say these words. The Lord bless you and protect you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. That's a description of what Daniel's saying. Same words in the Hebrew, to show favor. And then he ends the priestly blessing by saying, May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you, or literally look to you and give you peace. Daniel's saying, God, smile on us again. Not because we deserve it. 
Not because we're being the people of God we should, but do it for you, God. Revive and restore your people for your sake. Listen attentively, God, and hear. Open your eyes and look on the devastated ruins and the city called by your name. For it is not because of our own righteous deeds that we are praying to you, literally falling before you, which gives me the impression that when Daniel was praying this prayer, he was literally prostrate. He was literally falling before God. As an 80-year-old man. And saying, God, I'm praying the way I am Not because of us, but notice, because your compassion is abundant. Daniel knew his God. And that's why he was praying. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. Don't delay for your own sake, for your own reputation, oh, my God. For your city and your people are called by your name. This prayer of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 reminds us of a very important principle that we as the people of God need to keep in mind. I know there are many of us as Christians who as we look at the spiritual state of our own nation grieve and mourn over where we are as a nation spiritually in our history. And yet, this is what we have to recognize. If there's going to be a spiritual awakening in our country, it's not going to happen by getting the people of our country on board. The way a spiritual awakening happens in any nation is when the people of God begin to live as the people of God. That's what Jeremiah, that's what Daniel, that's what the Word of God says. Because God can't revive what's not already there. We say we want revival in our country. Well, then technically, biblically, correctly, what that means is God, revive your people. God can't revive people who don't have any relationship with him. There's no spiritual life there to revive or restore. But there is life within God's people. And when we speak about revival and we speak about renewal and restoration, it starts with us. It's when the people of God begin to live as the people of God and begin to live consecrated, dedicated lives and begin to set their face to the face of God and get rid of the distractions and put God finally first in their life and get serious about our spiritual life and our spiritual walk. When God's people begin to live that way, then the nation will change. It changes through the people of God. It's time for the church to rise up. It's time for the church to be aroused. It's time for the church to get its priorities right. For isn't that exactly what the Word of God says? 
Listen to these words from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, where God says, If my people who belong to me humble themselves, pray, seek to please me, and repudiate their sinful practices, then I will respond from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. God's not talking to the people of this nation. He's talking to His own people. He's telling us the reason there's no real spiritual life or light or revival or spiritual awakening happening in our nation is because we, the church, have been asleep too long. And in a sense, that's what Daniel's praying for. In Daniel chapter 9, God's, Daniel's praying for the revival and restoration of God's people. He's saying, God, you exiled us just like you said you would. And yet all these 70 years that most of these people have spent in Babylon, they haven't got it. They haven't become the people of God. They just sort of settled into their new environment became comfortable there, made a pretty good life for themselves, but they never really made you the priority. They never turned back to you. And now this 70 years is coming to an end, Daniel says. And I'm so concerned that these people are going to go back to Jerusalem. And it's going to be the same old, same old. Nothing's going to change. And we're going to be right back in the same place we were somewhere else down the road because we haven't learned our lesson. What a prayer. I guess what God would want me to say to you as he said to me is just what the book of 2 Chronicles says. Are we willing to humble ourselves? Are we willing to start praying? Are we willing to start seeking to please God above everything else? Are we willing to repudiate or turn from our sinful practices? If we truly do that, God promises, and God always, always is true to His Word. He says, I'll respond, I'll forgive, and I will heal this land. Are we willing as the people of God to be the people of God that God calls us to be? That is the lesson of Daniel chapter 9. Folks, I also believe, and this is for the folks of the Oasis, that God is preparing us to go into a new season as a church. And yet I want to remind all of us that just like in our personal lives, 
when you and I begin to get serious about spiritual things and start to take new territory, there's going to be some challenges and obstacles and battles. And the spiritual enemy is not just going to sit back and say, Oh, Jeff, you want to make progress spiritually? Go right ahead. And the same thing is true for a body of believers. And so I want to ask you, as your pastor, like never before, would you cover our church in prayer? Would you cover your leadership and, and, and this church in prayer? Because the spiritual enemy would like nothing better to begin to come in here and divide and destroy and discourage and bring all kinds of stuff as we head to our next phase. Don't let the enemy get a foothold in your life. Now more than ever. And may we not allow the enemy to get a foothold here. Because now more than ever, we need to know who really believes in this ministry and believes in what we're doing here. Because if we are getting ready to move to that next phase, it's not going to be easy. Any easier than when Joshua took the children into the promised land. Yeah, God said, this is what I'm giving you, but it wasn't without its battles and challenges. Yeah, they got across the Jordan, but then there was Jericho. And then they got across Jericho, and then there was Ai. There was always something. And that's why the people of God, as God said to Joshua, you need to be strong and courageous. And folks at the Oasis, if we ever needed to be strong and courageous, it's now. Will you stand with me? And may we stand together in the days ahead because God has some special things planned for us. But we're going to have to fight the good fight. And we're going to have to become the people of God that God wants his people to be. Because as God even said to Joshua, you need to tell the people this before they start to go into that new place. They need to get themselves spiritually ready. They need to consecrate themselves. They need to dedicate themselves like never before. And I think that's one of the things that God has us right now doing as a church. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready to give you something else. I'm, I'm going to give you a more prominent place in this community. And your ministry is going to be known a little bit more. But before you do that, you all need to get your spiritual house in order. And make sure that that group of people that we take across that Jordan to that new place, that we are spiritually ready to go. Will you come with me? Will you be with me? And let's be the people of God that God calls his people to be. Let's pray. God, like never before, your people need to be who you call us to be. We have got to stop pointing our fingers at everyone around us as to why we're in the place we're in and experiencing the painful circumstances and unpleasantness that we're experiencing. God, as Daniel said, it's on us. 
We as your people, God, who have the light of God in our lives, we've got to begin to accept responsibility and we've got to step up and step out like never before and be the church you've called us to be. God, I believe that you're calling the Oasis to be that light as well. Even if we're getting ready to go into a spiritual stronghold, God, you're greater. And God, you want to show us, just as you use Daniel, that the circumstances and and everything might not be just what we want it to be, but that doesn't ever prevent us from individually or corporately thriving for you and with you. Because thriving spiritually has nothing to do with our circumstances and everything to do with our personal walk and relationship with you. And Daniel proved that to be true in his life. You lit a fire in Daniel that never died until he died. And God, may that be true of us as well. May we today here at the Oasis Church dedicate and consecrate ourselves to you and set our face and turn our attention to you like never before, God, as we fall before you and ask you, God, to bless and to show us favor and to to make your face shine on us like never before, God, not because we deserve it, not because we're such a wonderful group of people, God, but do it for your glory. Do it for your honor, God. Do it for your reputation, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.